Our Bible reading comes this morning from Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 57. When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a stone, a great stone, against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while he, this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. You have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know. They went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guard. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here for he has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and indeed he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. This is the word of the Lord. National holiday set apart to commemorate the landing at Gallipoli on April the 25th, 1915, and the start of a long campaign, which ultimately ended in defeat, but not before thousands of Australian soldiers were killed or wounded in battle. And of course, New Zealanders as well. 
At dawn on that day, which, by the way, was a Sunday, just like today, the Allied troops were mistakenly put ashore on the narrow pebbly beach at Anzac Cove in northern Turkey. And for month after month, they hung on there to a narrow strip of mountainous terrain until at long last it became obvious even to the most incompetent of British commanders that they could never succeed. And so after eight long months of enduring the most atrocious conditions, the survivors, leaving behind their dead and most of their equipment, were quietly withdrawn. Tomorrow is Anzac Day. The commemoration of the landing at Gallipoli at dawn on the 25th of April. But of course it's much more than that. It's also a remembrance of the dead, of those who never returned, because they gave up their lives for king and country. And so also again at the service which will be held at dawn tomorrow morning at Melbourne's Shrine of Remembrance, and the services in many other places right throughout this nation as well as throughout New Zealand. Those who attend will hear the plaintive bugle call, which is known as the last post. And they will observe the customary one or two minutes of silence in memory of and in honor of these days, not only the Gallipoli dead, but also all those others, mostly young men in the prime of their lives, who lay down their lives in debt and subsequent conflicts. World Wars I and II, Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan. Tomorrow is Anzac Day. So while you may well ask, did we just again read this account of the Easter story? Easter Sunday has come and gone. Yes, it is true that Anzac Day and Easter Sunday do coincide on very, very rare occasions, about once every century. The last time they did so was in 1943, and 2038 will be the next occurrence, but not this year. This year they're just over one week apart, so what you may wonder could be the reason on this Sunday, a week after Easter, to choose as our reading Matthew's version of the Easter account. But of course there is a reason. Because you know there is a remarkable parallel between Anzac Day and Easter Sunday. For isn't that also what those women in our reading were doing, honoring the dead? There they are in the dawn light of a new day, very early in the morning, writes Luke. While it was still dark, says John, just after sunrise, stage mark, and at dawn of the first day of the week, we read in our reading in Matthew. Each gospel specifically states the time of day. It appears the women left their homes in the dark and, and came to the tomb just after the sun came up. And why did they come? Was it not for the very same reason as those who will rise up early tomorrow morning to remember the sacrifice of and pay their respect to the honored dead? The women's intent too that early that Easter Sunday was to pay their respect to the dead, to honor their fallen hero. They too wished to venerate a brave man, a man who had tried for three years to do battle with the forces of evil. 
And for most of those years, his campaign seemed to have gone well. He had even seemed to be victorious. He had healed the sick, and, and demons had appeared to flee, to be defeated by him. He had appeared to be in charge even of the very powers of nature. Yes, he had even raised other people from the dead. And yet, in the end, it had all been in vain. For he, too, had ultimately been defeated. Evil had triumphed, and death, in his case as well, had ultimately been victorious. His enemies, too, had prevailed in the end. They had killed him in the most cruel way known in his era. They had nailed him to a cross and watched him die slowly, an agonizing martyr's death. Now his corpse was lying there in that tomb, and so the women had come to, to anoint their beloved rabbi's body. They brought their spices, as was the custom in those days, and they planned to lovingly impregnate his grave clothes and tenderly wind them around his lifeless body, his corpse, as a last token of their love and devotion, as a final symbol of their reverence and their respect. The women, too, had come at sunrise to remember and honor the dead, just as our nation will do again tomorrow morning just as we do every Anzac Day. And the parallel is, in fact, even closer. For Anzac Day is, in effect, the remembrance of a defeat. And so also to these women was the death of Jesus. He, too, had been defeated in the end. And so as they walked through the fields, through the tomb, to carry out their task, they might well have echoed the words of those two disciples in the Gospel of Luke, as they walked in despondent defeat on that road to Emmaus. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. But the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the one. We had expected so much. But in the end, it didn't happen. We had wished for a great victory, just like no doubt was the wish of those first Anzac soldiers. But just as for that campaign, instead in the end, there had only been bitter defeat. There is a clear parallel, isn't there, between dawn on Anzac Day and that dawn on the first Easter Sunday. But then, of course, there is a tremendous contrast also. You know, one of the sad things to see at Gallipoli, and I've seen it for myself because I've been there, one of the sad things is that all those, is that all those graves and, and all those tombstones, hundreds, no, thousands of them, row upon row at the, the lone pine memorial standing there right in the middle. And so when the observers will gather around over there at dawn for the Anzac Day service, though there may not be as many as at some other years because of the lingering effect of COVID. When the participants will get around to listen to the bugle call and observe their one or two minute silence, when they do that, they will be surrounded by all those graves. But you know, none of them ever opens. The bugle may call all it likes. But none of those soldiers will ever again 
answer its summons. Because none of them, not one of them, will return back to life. They were killed in battle, they died honorable deaths, and we will esteem and remember them for it. But that's all it is, a remembrance. There has never yet been any resurrection, nor has any ever been expected. Because we know it all so well, do we not? And we all have learned to, to live with it, to accept it, that there can be no doubt whatsoever that however much we may wish it wasn't, once you are dead, you are dead. Yes, dead is dead. You know, isn't that the tragedy of the human situation? Not just that people die untimely in war, but that in the end, if not sooner than undoubtedly later, all must die. Because, you know, it wasn't meant to be that way. And it wasn't always so, not in the beginning. When God made Adam, when God made Eve, they were made to live forever. Eternal life in eternal bliss. But then, as we know, came that first sin, way back there in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve were banished from access to the tree of life. And from that moment on, they were doomed to die. And even though, by God's grace, that death sentence punishment was not immediately executed, and they still lived for many more years, in fact, many more by far than you or I are ever likely to live, but yet in the end they did die. They returned to the dust from which God had made them. And it's been the same tragic end for all of their descendants. But the ultimate fate of every human being born on this earth ever since is death. They died. Because when Adam sinned, the battle was lost, and we all ever since have lived in an enemy-occupied realm, the realm of sin and of Satan, in a world ruled by death. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it really does not make all that much difference whether you were interned at Gallipoli or will someday end up in some other graveyard. Whether you were a young soldier killed in war and placed in a grave there in Turkey with a simple headstone or a well-known celebrity dying in Thailand of a suspected heart attack and mourned by millions the whole world over. Whether you were some innocent young man executed by a Russian bullet in one of the villages surrounding Kiev and buried there when you fell by a heartbroken mother under a piece of carpet to keep away the dogs or whether you were a royal prince dead at the ripe old age of 99 and laid to rest with great ceremony in the ancestral vault at Windsor Castle. In the end, it all makes very little difference because death is dead. Death is dead. And no doubt those women making their way to the tomb believed so also. They firmly expected to encounter a corpse already in the first stages of decay because they had been delayed by the intervening Sabbath. But now look what happens. Instead, when they arrive at that tomb, instead of a corpse, they encounter an angel. An angel. 
And you know, that is a significant fact. I think sometimes we tend to ignore those angels at the tomb because he's so focused on the risen Christ, do we not? But we shouldn't because they too are important because of what they represent. Because an angel is a being from outside, a messenger. Well, that's what the word angel literally means. A messenger, a delegate, sent by God into this enemy-occupied territory, ruled by death, but not themselves under its rules or its power or its regulations. And who therefore can do what we humans cannot? Who can break the rules we humans cannot break? Who can ignore the enemy-imposed conditions? You know, there's a story in, in Genesis 29. You probably remember it. Jacob has had to flee from his home in Canaan. And eventually he arrives in Haran, in the region of his uncle Laban. And there he encounters several flocks of sheep at a well. Laban's sheep amongst them, together with their shepherds. And in Laban's case, their shepherdesses, including Jacob's future wife, Rachel. All waiting for access to that well. Because the well is closed up by a stone. Now it seems that this particular well may well have consisted of a spring located inside a shallow cave. I'm told there are still such wells here and there throughout the Middle East. At any rate, a stone which seals off that well needs to be rolled away. But the shepherds cannot do it. Not because they're not strong enough, but because they are bound by a law. They're bound by a rule, by a, a mutually agreed condition. The stone may not be rolled away until the very last flock has arrived. And there are still flocks missing. And they may not arrive for a long time yet. And so these, these people, these shepherdesses and shepherds and sheep, they all have to wait for that to happen. But Jacob is not bound by that rule because he is a stranger. He has come from outside and so the rules do not apply to him. And so he can and he does roll away that stone. And no doubt Rachel is very impressed by this strong young man, Jacob. Like any young man with a, a pretty girl is happy to have made a, a good first impression. But the point I am making now is that, that we have there already in Genesis a faint echo, if you like, of what is going to happen more than a thousand years later on, on Easter Sunday morning. An angel can roll away that stone because the angel has come from outside and is not bound by our earthly rule that dead is dead. And once you're put into the grave, that is it, and you will never come out again ever. And so the stone is rolled away. And the tomb is opened. It's interesting, isn't it? At the, at the start of our reading, we saw that the Jewish leaders had tried to prevent that very act in a very human way. Of course, they too did not really believe that the dead can rise. How could they? But they were afraid that the disciples would pretend that they could by stealing away Christ's dead body. And so they had sought permission from Pilate to seal off the grave and to appoint a watch of soldiers. And so everything humanly possible had been done to abide by the rules. But now here comes an angel 
someone from outside of this earthly realm, and he doesn't care one hoot about rules that apply to fallen mankind. Because the one who sent him doesn't care either. And so the stone is rolled away. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow, writes Matthew. And Jesus does rise from the dead. And so now it is no longer a day to remember a dead leader. Because on that first Easter Sunday, the reign of death was broken. And death itself was defeated. And the once humanly impossible became possible. When our Lord rose mightily from the dead and returned victoriously to life. Jesus rises from the dead and comes out of the open tomb because he too is not bound by human rules. Around Easter, about two, uh, two years ago, when we were all locked down because of COVID, when to our great annoyance we were not allowed to go to church or even exit our homes except for the most necessary, necessary of reasons, you may remember, some of you, that there appeared a cartoon in one of our newspapers, and I can't remember which one anymore, but in that cartoon was depicted the tomb. And looking out past the edge of the, the rolled-away stone, the face of what was obviously meant to be Jesus, and in front of that tomb there was pictured a Victorian police car, with standing next to it a burly, uniformed policeman. And this stern-faced policeman is pointing at the tomb, and this is what he calls out according to the caption. Don't even think of it. And when I first saw that cartoon, I thought I should feel offended. Maybe I should have. But then I thought, you know, perhaps that cartoonist expressed more than he himself intended. For isn't that precisely the human response which would be expected? Don't even think that you can break the human condition, Jesus. Because that's sadly the way it is here on earth. Don't you dare to come out of that tomb. Because dead is dead and always will continue to be so. But praise be to God. Jesus is not bound by any enemy rules or by any sin-imposed conditions. And so he does come out of the tomb. And there is no one, no one who can stop him. The soldiers cannot. They are already so afraid of the angel that they shook and became like dead men, we read in our passage. And neither can death. For Christ is not bound by death rules either. Because he is not only human like us, yes, he was human, he was born into this world, he was born as one of us, as Paul writes in Romans, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. But then Paul also immediately adds there in Romans 1, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection. Jesus was declared to be God's son with power through the very act, through the very fact of his resurrection from the dead. And 
And that, of course, is the great difference between Anzac Day and Easter Sunday. Yes, they may be very similar at the beginning, but by the end of tomorrow's Anzac Day, though much will have been said, nothing will have changed. All those graves will still be occupied and life will still go back to normal. And wars will continue to be fought and people will continue to die, whether it's a result of war or from old age or from so many other possible causes. But by the end of that first Easter Sunday, on that day, everything was different. When those women came to the tomb, they saw that the stone was rolled away already. And they heard those wonderful words from the angel, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. He is not here, for he has risen. That is the wonderful message of Easter. And that's the wonderful message we may proclaim not only on Easter Sunday, but on every other Sunday as well, including today. That's why also today is called the Lord's Day. Because on the first day of the week, just as that sun had risen, the women who went to the tomb found a stone rolled away and the grave that was empty and Jesus risen from the dead. Jesus is risen. That was the wonderful message from the angel to the women that first Easter Sunday. Jesus has risen from the dead. Do you know that changes everything? Not only for those women, but also for us. Because God's word sure promises that one day we too, though we too first must die, will rise again with him. Just as Christ had to die. In the book of Hebrews we read this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, too, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Through Christ's human death, Satan has been defeated. Just as Christ had to share in our death, to set us free from sin and death, so we who believe in him may now share in his resurrection. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the death. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, Paul writes in that famous chapter in 1 Corinthians. The day will surely come that all will be made alive. That when the bugle call will sound again, but this time blown by an angel, all those graves there at Gallipoli and at Villa Bretonneau and in Flanders fields and, and in every other graveyard in the world will open. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, we read in Revelation. And all will stand before the throne of Christ to receive his judgment. And yes, sadly for many that will not be a happy day. Because many on that day will receive his condemnation. 
to those who believed in him in this present life, in word and deed. He then will say, as once in one of the parables he told while living here on earth, the master said to his servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The day will come. And all will rise and all believers will share in the joy of our Saviour's resurrection. And meanwhile, tomorrow's Anzac Day, so let me close with a war story. You may have heard this from me before, but I think it bears repeating. There was a man whose testimony I once read, who had been a soldier in the Korean War before he became a Christian. At 15, he wrote, I ran away from home to join the Navy. Two years later, I found myself in a forbidding place called Incheon. We'd been fighting the North Koreans for nine months when the Chinese entered the conflict. We were ordered to withdraw to the sea. I was in a convoy creeping through the cover of darkness when suddenly gunfire shattered the silence. Instinctively, I reached for the door handle, bounded out of the truck, and hit the ground, stunned. Bullets swarmed like hornets, and one hit the petrol tank, causing it to explode. The truck was instantly engulfed in flames. Lying terrified in the snow, I was certain that my own death was imminent. I was frozen with fear, totally unable to move, when I sensed the presence of someone alongside me. In the light of the burning truck, I looked into the face of a bearded Marine. In the most tranquil tone of voice my ears had ever heard, he said, don't be afraid. I assured him that everyone here was either afraid or crazy. He said he was neither. I asked him if there was something he knew which I didn't. Maybe there's someone I know that you don't, he answered. This connection is, uh, your connections won't do you any good here, I heard myself saying. This connection is good everywhere, the Marine explained. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I know that if a bullet goes through my heart right now, he is with me. And if a bullet doesn't go through my heart, he is with me. Either way, I've got it made. Yes, either way, we have got it made. That was also what this frightened soldier discovered later, for he survived the attack. And as the Marine crept off into the night, he started thinking. And when he was shipped back home, he started searching. Until one day he too put his trust in the risen Christ as his Savior and his Lord. Either way, I've got it made. So let me challenge you in closing. Can you say that also? Whatever your situation. On the day that says tomorrow it will be good to give thanks for the peace and prosperity we all enjoy and to remember with gratitude those who sacrifice their lives to provide these for us. But even if not, 
We live in an uncertain world, and many believe the dark storm clouds of war could well soon start appearing again also on our horizon, as in Eastern Europe they already have. Or if COVID spreads its deadly tentacles again with its many mutations also in our nation, by God's grace may we then still be able to say and truly believe in our hearts that either way we've got it made because we serve a risen Saviour who now lives in our hearts through the power of his, of his Holy Spirit and because in the end both in life and in death he alone is our only true and lasting hope and comfort today just as much as it was last week on Easter Sunday and will be tomorrow on Anzac Day and will continue to be so on every other future day as well Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that though Easter has come and gone, we, we still serve a risen Savior. That Jesus rose again that first Easter Sunday and is alive now and seated at your right hand and interceding for us. And that we have his sure promise that the day will come when we will be united together with him. Whether that be at our own death or on the day he comes again, and that we may rejoice with him in your presence from that day on forevermore. Thank you, Lord, that we may know that whether we live or die, either way, because of your grace, we have it made. Thank you in his name, our risen Saviour. Amen.